Welcome to the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, where it's all about slashing your debt, slashing your taxes, and creating a liberated lifestyle. And now, your host, who met his wife while training for the 400 meters in Seattle and is eating gluten-free whilst lusting after bread, Dave Denniston. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping doctors like you slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. Well, uh, as you know, if you've listened to my episode 42 of season seven or many other episodes where I talk about land flipping, it is something I am very passionate about. I have three businesses around um, land flipping, and I believe in it. And I get more and more people asking me about how do I do this? What What is this like? How do I get started? And so I created a whole video presentation with slides that you could check out on daviddeniston.com on the video section. So you like scroll down, you can see it on, on the videos, probably four or five videos down. We put it into two parts. And for those of you that maybe don't have the time or energy or effort to want to watch the videos, but you like to listen to audio, I thought we would strip out the audio for you so you could listen to it. Now, I have to confess, I had a technical glitch in one part of the presentation. So it's going to skip around towards the end of it, but it's still wonderful content. If you are interested in land flipping or even mildly curious what is this all about this is a really cool presentation that will help you uh, understand my background a little bit as well as what is this whole land flipping thing about all right so with that and no further ado here is the presentation on land flipping Hello friends and welcome to another video where I am so excited to share with you today the opportunity of land flipping in 2022. Now this is something I'm very passionate about. I hear from a lot of people in today's world, I am so tired of stocks and bonds and mutual funds and those things are great, but what else is there out there? And about five years ago, I stumbled into this niche of land flipping. So it was actually October of, 20, of 2017 that I started doing this. So literally five years ago, it's September right now, we're celebrating the five-year anniversary here shortly of being in land. And man, what a journey it has been. And I'm so excited to share with you some of the the basic overview of it. We're not going to get really in-depth. Um, if you are interested, I would be happy to make more videos about really in-depth stuff. But this will give you a really good overview into it. So quick question for you. Who was the largest landowner in 2022? Do you know who that is? And it's not Bill Gates, although the man has been buying up a lot of land, but he is not the largest landowner yet. And a bonus question for you, how many acres does this person own? The answer, John Malone with 2.2 million acres. If you don't know who he is, he was the chairman of Liberty Media, 28% um, owner of Discovery Communications, which now is merged with Warner Brothers, a $9.2 billion net worth. 
One of these guys kind of flies under the radar, not as wealthy as Warren, not as wealthy as Bill Gates, but a very wealthy man. Interesting story. Definitely check him out. Now, I am the owner of Centurion Financial Strategies, LLC. We are a registered investment advisor. Obviously, there's some great information here. And as normally, you know, anything I say today, you want to make sure that it's right for you. So feel free to throw out the stuff that that you don't like and, and learn from the stuff that you do like. And uh, certainly any tax information, any legal information we talk about here, always make sure to run that by your trusted professionals uh, to gather their opinion as well. Now, if you want a copy of the slides, just feel free to email uh, assistant at daviddeniston.com and Robbie will get them to you. Now, if you are watching this and you don't know who I am, let me tell you a little bit about me. Or maybe uh, some of you might be clients and you don't realize some of the stuff that I've been doing on the side in addition to my financial planning business. Now, of course, I'm a financial advisor. I've been in this industry for 20-something years. I love helping clients. I love talking retirement plans and taxes and stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. But that's not all that I am. I am an author written a few books you'll see here in a second. I am a podcaster. So actually I have two podcasts, The Freedom Formula for Physicians and another one called Land Stories. I'm also a land flipper. And uh, so as I mentioned, been doing this for five years now and we'll talk more about those details shortly. And then I'm also a tax lien investor, which we're gonna have another presentation on tax liens here shortly. Now, here's my family doing a fun photo from Mother's Day a couple of years ago. Love my family. Uh, as I mentioned, I'm an author. That's my most recent book, The Young Physician's Guide to Money and Life. came out a few years ago uh, because I've been so focused on the land stuff. I haven't written much lately, but I do have quite the library, Five Steps to Get Out of Debt, and my first big book, The Freedom Formula for Physicians. All these for sale on Amazon. We also have them for sale as well if you want to buy it from me directly at a discount. As I mentioned, have a couple of podcasts, The Freedom Formula for Physicians and Land Stories. The Freedom Formula for Physicians um, came about from something I'm about to tell you here in just a moment. Now, I am a land flipper, so I started with this company, Generation Family Properties, in 2017. And it went so well, found a couple of great guys to partner with, and started two additional land companies, Family Freedom Lands, and Southern Family Lands. And each of these companies has specialized in different parts of the country. And my hope is between the three, we'll end up covering nearly all 50 states. Uh, right now, we're probably at about 10, 10 to 12 uh, of the states. So we got a long ways to go, um, but uh, definitely got a lot to learn and a lot to grow in, but we've come, come, come a long way. Now, uh, part of the reason that I started my podcast, part of the reason I wrote the books that I did, part of the reason that uh, I got into land flipping was this little miracle right here. Our daughter, youngest daughter, Evangeline Marie Denniston, born in May of 2012. She is 10 years old now, but this is her a couple of weeks after birth. This little girl born less than a pound. She was 124 ounces. Today, you wouldn't know it by uh, looking at her. And I was so grateful to all of the doctors and the nurses and everyone that came around us. As some of the reason why I've done all this stuff was giving back to the doctor community. And uh, so grateful for them and their support. 
And that's uh, kind of what led us to this point. Now, as I mentioned, I am a financial advisor, and we help others by, of course, investing in the financial markets. We buy stocks, bonds, mutual funds. We help people in financial planning, which is with retirement projections, tax planning, estate planning, covering all of those different areas and much more. But those are really the, the main things that we do with financial planning. And then what we're talking about today, teaching other streams of income. And really, as I made this company a year ago, I really wanted to come out with a mission. And our mission is fourfold. Number one, we want to help protect, protect and grow client assets. Number two is all about guiding clients towards their goals, where they want to head and helping them get there. Number three uh, is what we're talking about today, conquering new streams of income. And the final part of our mission statement is to teach others how to do the same. So whether we're growing in employees or seeing our clients prosper, you know, that's the goal of what we're trying to do. As I mentioned today, teaching other streams of income is what we're all about. And there's this saying you may have heard of, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day. And in comparison, if you teach a man to fish, you can feed him for a lifetime. So as a financial planner, a lot of what I do is, is uh, helping people, and often I'm doing things for them. Well, today I am teaching you how to fish. So this is maybe something you can do for a lifetime. Now, what is land flipping, right? You've, you've heard me talk about land flipping, being a land flipper, and uh, what is it? The basic idea is you're buying raw land, for really cheap. Let's say a piece of land's going for $10,000. Our goal is to buy it for three or 4,000 bucks. Don't improve it, don't do anything to the land, and then to sell it for $10,000, or maybe 11,000 or 12,000 bucks. So we don't improve it, we don't blade in roads, we might look into something like that in the future, but we're not putting a house on it. We're not putting electricity on it. The core of primarily what we do is just turning it right around and selling it again. And so essentially we're, we're paying money to people that want to get rid of this asset that they don't know what they want to do with. And then we are turning around and making a profit on it. So who does land flipping? I'll tell you the, the number of people I see that do this business and they do it well. Um, you have a lot of people that might be in the tech world. Um, you have a lot of, of finance and real estate people. You have a lot of engineers and those kinds of folks. And then everyone else. Um, I know firefighters that do land flipping. I know uh, people that uh, are business owners that they, they're curious in trying other businesses and they just are serial entrepreneurs and, and want to do something new. Um, you have, uh, I've seen nurses do this, traveling nurses that do this on the side. Uh, people in the army, quite, quite a bit actually of of uh, retired military personnel or active military personnel doing land flipping all over the place. But in general, I think the people that succeed is they have an entrepreneurial mindset and they actually do it. Um, usually it's someone looking for like a side hustle, something where they're really not completely happy with the income that they have right now and they wanna really accelerate their income. 
people who don't usually do this uh, are people that are so locked into what they're doing, they just don't have time. You know, if if you're somebody that is a uh, lawyer working 60 hours a week, you don't need another 10 to 20 hours a week when you're making already 300 to 400 grand. But maybe it's something your kids can do if they are looking to really generate wealth and you can help guide them and help fund them and stuff like that. So lots of ways you can do it. So uh, before we talk about the steps, I want to give you a few ideas of what are the good things and, and bad things about land flipping you should be aware of. Number one that I love, you can do this anywhere from a laptop. Um, I've done done this business in China. I've done this business in in uh, Switzerland. I've done this business in Germany. I've done this business in Canada. I've done this business uh, while we're staying in Airbnbs. It's been wonderful. You can really literally do it anywhere. Back in the day when I was in college, we um, my parents were kind enough to let me try and manage a property. And I hated the tenant management process and dealing with trying to collect the money and dealing with repairs and all that kind of stuff that came with it. And so what I loved about land, we don't have to deal with toilets. We don't have to deal with termites. We don't have to deal with tenants. All three good things. The other thing, too, that I've loved about this is really building a virtual team. Uh, Robbie, who's my main assistant here, he's here with me in the office. And then we have a team of like... 10 to 12 other people literally all over the country and the world that help do this business for me. So I have some work in it, but really uh, a lot of the sales today, I'm not involved in at all. The buying, I give some input here and there, but I have all these people doing the work for me so I can act more as the owner and the visionary rather than someone working in the business. Next the beautiful thing about running a business, and this is very true of land flipping, you generally have a much higher potential rate of investment than traditional investing. We love stocks, bonds, mutual funds. They are um, something that you do actively, uh, but they don't take hours and hours and hours and hours a week. Um, this takes more time, quite frankly, but the ROI, the payoff is so much higher. Now, the other thing that's great about having a business is you get write-offs. So you can write off all kinds of things that you can't write off on your personal, particularly if you're using them for it. Imagine a laptop or a cell phone or a home office in your house. These are all write-offs you could do when you're a business owner. Now, what do I love about it? Frankly, the financial planning industry is very, very competitive. There's a lot of people that do it. Land flipping is relatively unknown. And man, do the customers love it. Uh, people get excited about it. They dream about it. And you really get to help them towards that. Uh, which for me is about helping people achieve their American dream. You know, owning a piece of land, making that white picket fence uh, around it for them. Uh, and seeing them develop it and, and whatnot has really been awesome. And uh, frankly, a lot of people, because I often act as the bank through owner financing, they have never owned anything before. So now they're actually able to own something. I mentioned about the team earlier and how cool that's been. I've loved the learning aspect of the land business. New counties, new states, new subdivision, minor splits, subdividing, the new tech, all of that, which initially is really overwhelming. But man, once you get a handle on it, it's really fun. 
And uh, I love this part. My residual income just continues to build up and it gets higher and higher and higher as we do more and more deals and larger deals. And um, what, a, what a ride that has been. And uh, one of the things I have loved most is connecting with other land flippers. And uh, in the financial advisory community, quite honestly, so many of us are closed off and you don't collaborate because you don't want someone else kind of taking your secret because you're working in the same market and um, or building a community. And, and it's just not very collaborative um, among other firms in land flipping. We help each other. And that's been awesome. Now, how do you make money from land flipping? There's two basic ways. Um, number one are cash flips, where I mentioned the example earlier, we buy for 4,000 and we turn around within a few months and we try and sell it for like $10,000. So you turn the money over and you get that uh, initial investment back plus you know a nice return quickly. Owner financing, meanwhile, you act as the bank. And now instead of, of getting the money immediately, you get it over time, which for me, I charge interest on the owner financing. So not only am I making the gain on the sale, now I'm making interest on top of that. So great ways to do it. So let me show you an example just to give you an idea of how this works and what some of the costs are and, and how this works. So the number one thing that we do, which we'll talk more about here in a, in a little bit, is how we acquire properties is through mailing. So it's not unusual. It might take $1,000 of mail to buy a property. And then on top of that, you actually have to buy the property. So maybe that's about $6,000. And with the mailing, there's all kinds of really cool tools that help you automate it. You don't have to lick the envelopes and put a stamp on it yourself. There's whole mailing houses that'll help take care of that for you. So let's say your total all-in costs are $6,000. Now, in my case, while I have my virtual assistants doing stuff, I have staff costs. Initially, you don't want to have staff. You need to try this yourself and get a handle on it. So let's say it was $6,000 investment. What usually happens with a cash flip is we get some down payment or earnest money. So let's say that was $1,000. And then you have about $17,000 that they pay maybe through a title company a month later or two or three weeks later. And the title company costs money. So that might be 500 bucks, something like that would be very typical. Sometimes it's more expensive, but usually I find it's less than a thousand bucks. 500 would be average. Sometimes it's cheaper than 500. So let's say your total received is 17,500. Net income, 17,500 minus six grand gives us $11,500, which is a 191% rate of return. Isn't that crazy? You think about that, right? 11 grand on six grand, almost a 200% rate of return. There are very, very, very few other things I can think of where you can get that kind of uh, returns. Now, let's be honest, there are pros and there are cons to doing cash flips. Number one, it can generate the most amount of cash to reinvest. So we love cash flips for that reason. Number two, really relative to owner financing, there's minimal tax and bookkeeping needs. It's pretty clean. 
and easy to do from an accounting perspective. Uh, generally, most cash flippers I know, they don't have a lot of staff. So you don't need the team of like 15 that I got. Uh, and then another huge benefit of a cash flip is you could possibly quickly multiply the nest egg, right? Imagine if you did three cash flips in a year, one every four months. So if you start out with six grand and you came out with 17 and then you withhold some money for taxes, so maybe your net's 15K, you only have 15K, you buy two or three properties with. Maybe you buy three $5,000 properties, right? You do it again. And now you have like 45,000 bucks, maybe minus some taxes, uh, maybe you have $40,000. Well, now you use that $40,000 and let's say you buy four $10,000 properties. And you can see how if it's working right, you know, you can really multiply your money quickly. Major cons, um, with cash flips, most people that I know that do them, where they're focusing on getting a cash and they're working towards higher and higher numbers, they have to send out a lot of letters to do that. I gave an example of $1,000 in mailing costs. Typically, you know, that might be 1,500 to 2,000 letters that that gets sent out. Um, the higher you go up in dollar amount that has to be invested, then the more mail you have to send out. The cheaper properties, less mail. The more expensive properties, more mail. So very typical they do that. It's also um, capital intensive. You know, you end up buying, let's say, five $10,000 properties. You know, that's 50 grand. You got locked up. And if you're still trying to buy more to build up your inventory, you know, you can really lock up your money quickly. The other thing that is a con with cash flips is that you don't know what could come in for revenue the next month. You're constantly having to reinvent yourself. You're constantly having to do more research on where you want to mail because you're mailing takes up a lot of your budget and you're, you're run out of records um, in a particular county or maybe in a particular state if you're doing a lot of it. Uh, other major con for cash flips is that relatively to owner financing, they take, they take longer to sell. So it might take six months, eight months to do a cash flip. And there's no residual income, of course, too. And uh, finally, there is do deeper due diligence needed. I mean, you're investing more money in these things, and so you really have to do good deep due, due diligence. Now, let's talk about owner financing next. So same scenario. Let's say it was $1,000 in mailing cost. Property cost you five k. And let's say in this case, you have $1,000 that you got for a down payment. Now, look at the remaining owed, $27,000 and change, which would get paid over time. We'll go through that here shortly. Let's say your closing costs over time are 800 bucks. So total received this plus this minus this, you know, $27,878. And look at that rate of return, 364%. So your rate of return is larger, but it's spread over time. So how did I get 27,000 bucks? Well, if you ran an amortization calculator, let's say your loan on it, you're selling the property for $20,000 on owner financing. You're asking for more because it's going for owner financing rather than cash. You get people a discount for buying from you in cash. So you get a loan for 19 grand, they're gonna pay you 
$288.31 a month over eight years, which you charge a 10% interest rate on. That means not only do they pay you 19 grand, they pay you another $8,678 in interest. So you see how your $6,000 investment yielded 19 grand plus another $8,678 in interest, right? So it's spread over eight years, but uh, man, what a rate of return on that. Pros, um, the residual income. We love the residual income and we love stacking residual income. So every month you're getting paid. Relative to the cash flips we were just talking about, um, if you're focusing on owner financing, which I have done a lot of, it takes more um, minimal mail, especially to get started in general and less county research. And also it takes less time to sell. You know, I'd say typically most properties, if you have inventory less than 10, then, you know, you're probably one to three months would be pretty typical. So a fraction of the time for cash. Another pro is people borrow from you and sometimes they can't pay anymore. So they default and now you can resell the property and increase your rate of return even more. I've had plenty of properties where we have originally gotten, sold it for a year or two, someone's life situation changes, and we've gotten uh, our investment out of the property, and now we sell it for cash, and uh, man, we've gotten a huge rate of return in a relatively short period of time. And now, a commercial break. Well, my friends, you have probably heard I am now a completely independent financial advisor. And, and as the time that uh, I, I am recording this, the stock market is down. Uh, there's a lot of question in terms of where is the market going? Where should I be investing my money? There's no better time than now to get a review of your portfolio and make sure that you are set up properly. As a matter of fact, tax season is around the corner too. Maybe you're looking for some tax strategies and hints and you want someone to talk it over with besides your CPA. Feel free to give my assistant Kyla a call at 612-284-2409 to set up a free 30-minute strategy session with me. Again, call 612-284-209 to set up a free 30-minute strategy session with me. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. And now back to the show. Cons of owner financing, you have to manage the notes. You will have defaults. There's more tracking. There's more paperwork. There's lots of bookkeeping and tax work, and it gets a little complex, to be honest with you. But once you get the team in place and you're overseeing it, it gets to be better. But man, it, it is a lot of bookkeeping. Also, too, major con, it takes longer often to get your capital and your returns back. So you might get the prop money back within a year and a half or two years is pretty typical for me. Um, so it takes a lot longer. It's also very capital intensive because you're selling a property, you're getting a down payment, which is great. But if you're buying more $6,000 properties, you run out of money very quickly. Uh, another major con uh, of the owner financing versus um, cash flips is you can get squatters. Out of about 800 properties, this has probably happened to me three or four times. So it does happen, but it's pretty rare, at least for me. And then uh, you need more staff versus the cash flips. So it, it is a thing. 
Now, I mentioned owner financing. I managed, uh, mentioned stacking. Just imagine if you were able to stack um, payments. So you have $288.31 in payments on this property. What if you did that 10 times? You have $2,800 a month coming in of residual income. What if you did that 20 times? You have $5,600 a month coming in in residual income. 50 times, $14,000 in residual income. Now it really starts counting, right? I mean, this really can move the needle in your life. I mean, what would you do with $28,000 a month of residual income? or $56,000 a month residual income. To give you guys an idea, I've done this now. We have currently really close to 400 notes that are paying about 180 a month. And so this is real. And uh, I have seen this and it has been a blessing in my life. Now, let's be honest. Not everything is, is all peaches and cream with this. You can lose money from land flipping. So how does that happen? Uh, number one, I see people get distracted. You know, a lot of entrepreneurial types, they see uh, land flipping, they see house flipping, they see investing in apartments, they see Airbnbs, they see uh, some, some other tech business. And so they get distracted and they, they, they have like 20 things going on and they're not focused. And so they end up losing money because they're paying money for this stuff and they're forgetting about answering calls and whatnot. One thing that's happened in the last five years that frankly, um, mailing costs have gotten higher. So that's eroding profits. You, the higher you move up, it gets more competitive and you might totally bomb on some mailers. This is a more competitive environment now than it was five years ago. Um, so it definitely, there are some counties that you really have to be aware of. Um, you can still make money, but your margins just aren't as high. Certainly you can mail without buying anything. You know, you can lose money from that. I talked about competition a little bit. Now, a big one that you look for in a property is legal access and physical access. Legal access being, do you actually have the right to get to your property? Often, you know, you have, um, like here, I'm looking out my window and there's a major road that there, you have legal access on. Well, sometimes in rural counties, you might have to go through a neighbor's property to get to yours because there's no road there. Well, in that case, you do not have legal access unless there's an easement. Uh, physical access being there might be a road, but maybe it's not maintained. So if you're buying properties that are missing legal and physical access, you got to make sure you buy them super cheap in order to really um, turn around. And I've done this before. I've missed legal access. I've missed physical access. But you make that mistake once and twice, three times, you, you don't make it again. Um, another thing that happens with land flipping that people miss out on, sometimes there's wetlands. Uh, and wetlands can be a major issue for building. Some properties have crazy steep slopes, so you got to watch out for the uh, topography. Because if you buy some of this stuff, you may not be able to turn around and sell it. You might have missed in your due diligence that this person owes back taxes on their property. And so that's a big deal with um, missing taxes that you got to um, keep up on because eventually a tax lien investor or the county will foreclose on the property. And if there's enough in back taxes, you know, it might erase most of your potential profits. 
Again, uh, mistakes I've made. Another one being if a property is in a homeowner's association, you can have back owed HOA dues, which can add up to thousands of dollars in a time. So you've got to watch out for that stuff. A huge mistake I see is just organization. You have to be organized or have someone who's working with you that's going to help you stay organized. And then overall, you know, the biggest one, honestly, is just not making the time. You know, if you're not making the time and you're throwing a bunch of money at something, you could be missing out on deals and other stuff. All right. Well, we will um, conclude this part of the presentation and we will continue it in the next video. Hello, friends, and welcome back to part two of land flipping in 2022. So excited to bring this to you with uh, with the next few steps. So in part one, we talked about kind of the basics and, and how land flipping works and pros and cons of cash flips and owner financing. If you haven't checked that out yet, make sure to do that. So now if you're convinced, you say, Dave, I love this stuff. Tell me more. Well, that's why we're going to go through the next few steps and give you, again, kind of an overview, give you some tools to really help you understand how this works and how we actually do this, this process. So let's talk next about how do you buy when you flip land? So there's multiple steps to this. We'll take you through the basic ones here. So step one, is doing county research and having kind of a budget in mind of where you are going to buy land. So if we look at my browser here, I have a couple of websites up. This is landwatch.com. And what we can do here is click on this search by map. And let's say, um, we, let's just pick a state here like Texas. And then you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to remove Texas. So now we have the whole country. And um, what you want to keep in mind when we're talking county research and budget, I think the number one thing you want to do first is really kind of think about how much can you invest. I encourage folks to think about trying to maybe like buy in having budget mind your mail and buying three properties because if you buy one that's really not giving you a good shot at trying to do it so let's say you have fifty thousand dollars and you want to buy three properties well let's budget out maybe 30 grand for the three properties so maybe ten thousand dollars each and then let's think about the uh, remaining amount, the other 20 grand can go towards mailing costs because that'll give you a lot of money with which to do mailing. So I'd say 60% towards actually buying the property, 40% towards mailings. That way, if a mail, mailer fails on you, you still have more money to do more mailers with. So let's use that example of we're going to shoot for kind of $10,000 of buying. If we're going to buy for $10,000, let's just double that to look for land that's $20,000 or more. So if you put in $20,000 here, well, maybe, maybe we do 15. Let's do 15. One, two, three. And let's do $25,000. So here on Land Watch, I entered in the state. Now I'm entering in this custom price. I'm going to add that in. 
Next thing we want to do is eliminate houses. So just click here on undeveloped. That way we're just seeing raw land and not nothing with a house on it. All right, so we're starting to see this come together here. Florida is really high on the list. North Carolina is number two. Now the next thing that I suggest most folks do, the larger the property, the generally the, the more forgiving issues can be with wetlands maybe, or um, perk testing, or some of those kinds of things. So when you start out, and this will just be a rule just for starting out, I would just put in a minimum size of one acre. Some folks swear by only five acres or larger. I've sold lots and lots of land that's one to five acres. So why don't we start one to 10 acres as kind of a thing? And look what happened, Florida dropped down now. The reason being Florida has tons of these tiny quarter acre, half acre lots. I know from experience. All right, so number one is North Carolina. Now, um, you're going to want to research North Carolina to figure out how, how do you buy property from there. What I mean by that is in some states, you are in, a, in an attorney state. Uh, one of the, the major influencers, which I consider a friend, Seth Williams, has a website called Ari Tipster. And so if we type in attorney states, he has um, kind of a state-by-state -state guide for closing. So this has a great um, resource here that has kind of by colors how this works. So for example, North Carolina, you have to have an attorney. So there's nothing wrong with that. You just have to budget that in. I've done a lot of my stuff in the Southwest and the West and the Midwest. So I, I personally haven't had experience in North Carolina. Uh, I've generally favored states that are like light blue or dark blue. So those, those have been um, my favorites. But don't let that deter you. You might have awesome experience in North Carolina. Once you go to North Carolina, let's just pick on that as an example. Uh, what I would now look for is the counties. So start getting familiar with the counties. And you could look these up on um, Google Maps to kind of get a, a feel for where it is and whatnot. And I tend to focus on the ones that have the most because more than likely that means they have records too. So Cherokee County, Macon County, Clay County. So I would do some more research on these ones. You could look to see uh, through like realtor.com, how active have those markets been? You could look to see population growth and what that looks like and kind of the economy of them. Um, but we, we really nailed down some really good stuff here so far. So now that you kind of have your budget in mind, you kind of have some counties in mind. Let's say you finally select one. So let's say we're going to go with um, Cherokee County here, which again, there's more to this. I'm just trying to give you an overview and make these, these videos not too crazy long. So let's say we went with Cherokee County here. The next thing you want to do is see that you can have data. We use this website, datatree.com, which we have a subscription with, which I highly, highly recommend to do. You can also scrape stuff from um, county websites, sometimes a county. All right, so uh, we're here on Zomi and we got a list of the properties that we're looking at. You can see all these lovely green and red dots in there, green being for sale, red being not for sale. So what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna make this a list and then I'm gonna download all this beautiful data. 
And then what I like to do from here is to, let's look at our filters, six months. I don't like to go out a year or 24 months because it doesn't give us current data. You know, I want to look at what are the, the last things happening. All right, we got 349 properties. Let's download this data again. Open her up. All right, no beds and baths now. This is looking better. Now, you'll notice that, that um, there are some of the sales in here. So uh, what we like to do, and then in some cases, like, this is kind of a little screwy. So you got to look over the data here to make sure the columns are lining up. Just for the sake of time, I'm going to delete this guy. And so you have all these great comps. And typically what I do with a list like this is I will figure out what is the price per acre that um, things have sold for and are going for. I will start to um, figure out, you know, kind of metro areas. Like you see, you got Murphy, Andrews and so on. And you can set up all kinds of cool Excel formulas by um, area and then figure out price per acre. Generally, the way we do it, one to three acres will, will price similar, similarly, um, or sorry, one to two acres, two to five acres will price on a similar price per acre and five to 10. And generally a safe one to go for is you figure out what those averages are and then you divide it by three. And that is going to be your offer, which then you fill in on that um, offer template. All right, so we've talked about the budget now. We've talked about uh, how to download a list. And we've also talked about the uh, pricing the list. So we've gone steps one through three now on trying to get offers out there. Then the next thing you want to do is mail the list now that you've got it all priced out. And um, in mailing the list, what we currently use today is a program called Podio that uses LandSpeed's system. And so they work together. So we put stuff basically in a campaign based on a particular county. And then every day it mails it out. Basically, they send, they merge a PDF for us with our offer letter. And that offer letter goes out through click to mail this company that then the letter arrives in people's mailboxes. So we don't have to lick any stamps. We don't have to put any anything on it. It just automatically gets done for us. Once you mail the list, hopefully you start hearing from people that say, yes, I want to sell or, you know, I liked your offer, but I want a little bit more. Or some people just come out with cussing at you and uh, telling you off about yourself, or they, they want to counter with something way higher than you're willing to do. And essentially, you're looking for those fraction of a fraction people. You know, you're looking for the one out of 600 mailers, one out of 1,000, one out of 2,000, one out of 3,000, where everything lines up for you. Now, assuming someone says, yes, I would like to sell, or you can come to agreement on the price, then what you're wanting to do next is due diligence. And we talked about some of this stuff earlier when we talked about wetlands and whatnot, and tax liens and HOA dues. Um, just to give you an example, this is what a typical due diligence looks like for us. We have a whole process of doing basic DD, detailed DD, then it gets submitted for approval. And if there's some bounce back and forth, we move it back to open questions and uh, until we get her done. So what happens when we do due diligence, just to give you guys an example, 
there was this property from these folks, 5.7 acres. You can see the, the May response. I'm tracking when was the response received, when was the basic DD done, when was the advanced DD done. So we're looking at all of this information about a property. What are the, the corners? What does a plat map look like? What's a Google map link to the property? What are the nearest cities? And um, who are the neighbors? Because in case we want to sell it to the neighbors. Is there legal access? Is there physical access? What's the physical access details? How's it zoned? Uh, links to past deeds. Does it have water? Can you build a house on it? What can you do regarding camping? What can you do with RVs? Is it in a flood zone? Is it in wetlands? If it is in a flood zone, what, what does that look like? Or if it's in wetlands, what does that look like? What is the last year's taxes? Are there any outstanding taxes that haven't been paid yet? Is there an HOA? If so, what's their information? And then uh, we have in here, what was our initial offer and maybe a counter offer? So you can see this one, we have some communication among the team, talking about what's going on and stuff like that. And uh, we either approve it, disapprove it, communicate, and hopefully uh, we come to a decision and um, we buy it through closing, which might be through a self-closing or through a title company, and boom, you got a property. So now you gotta sell it. How do you sell land? Well, generally I suggest, my suggestion is if it's over 30K in price, then cash only is a great way to go. You can keep owner financing in your hip pocket, um, but realtors are, are a fantastic resource because now they're motivated to help us out. If it's under $30,000, they don't care. And this is where owner financing comes much more into play. And this is why it takes less mail, because realtors don't care about a property worth less than $30,000. Frankly, most realtors don't really care about a property less than 100000 bucks, because, you know, if they get 3% on it, you know, the amount of work and photos and all that kind of stuff just isn't worth it for them. So this is why we can come in and buy land is because someone needs cash and realtors don't help them. And it's just easier to sell to us than to them to figure out how to sell a property. So what you want to do when you're selling land, I recommend selling on the Lands Network. We were just looking at one of the websites on the Lands Network, which is Landwatch. There's also Land and Farm as part of the, the Lands Network. We also list our land on a totally separate site called Landflip and another totally separate site called Land Century. So you want to list in different places like that which those are more warm leads. Those are easier to sell to. You can also, we've done plenty of this through Facebook, the Facebook marketplace and buy sell groups. That's a great place to sell it, but it takes a lot of time and effort. Um, Craigslist is a place we've sold some properties in the past. I think it's becoming less and less a source. And of course you can try and list on Zomi or Zillow, or um, you can end up listing on an MLS through kind of a self-directed MLS, as well as of course realtors if that's right for you. Uh, but generally with owner financing, this is where we focus on. If you're doing cash flips, you're usually going through a, a realtor. We can sell for cash. Keep in mind, you're not like committing to doing one or the other, but just generally, if you list on these websites, you're much more likely to do owner financing than not. Number three, when you are doing the selling yourself, when you're typically doing a property under $30,000, you're gonna be the one responding to leads or you have a salesperson. I have three salespeople that are doing all this stuff for me. And then step four, you do a contract with that person. They say they want it, you've answered their questions, you do a contract, we typically do a purchase sale agreement. And then after they've signed that and done the down payment, then we do a land contract after that. 
And then you sell the property. They do the down payment, bam, it's sold, and you get that cash flow going for you. So that, my friends, really is land flipping from A to Z. Quick overview so you have an idea of how this works. We've shown you some of the tools of what we use and what you could use. And uh, overall, you know, th this is just one way we love to help people, whether it's um, investing in financial markets, whether it's the actual financial planning of retirement projections and tax planning or estate planning, or doing what we did today, which is teaching other streams of income. And, you know, here's a question for you. What percentage of people are actually open to help? They're open to coaching. Are they open to hearing other people's experiences? Well, a study tells us 63% are not open. 63% of people, they aren't open to help. So I guess my question is for you, what kind of person are you? Are you open to help? Are you open to coaching? Are you open to hearing other people's experiences? Well, if you're part of that small 37%, then my question is for you, when it comes to this financial stuff, do you have a coach? Do you have someone who is talking in your ear like Phil Jackson did for Michael to motivate you, to guide you, to learn from their wisdom? And when it comes to this land stuff and so many other financial things, it really all comes down to mechanics. Like Tiger Woods at the height of his career, you know, there's a certain way to swing the club. Certain kind of clubs work for certain kind of courses and certain kinds of, of terrain. Uh, Peyton Manning with football, you know, he had, he had to get coached on different plays that are getting ran and stuff like that. You have to have mechanics. And this land flipping stuff, there's definitely a lot of mechanics to it. Here's what Peyton said. He said, I love being coached. I get angry when I'm not coached. I asked a lot of questions, and I certainly appreciated any insight and feedback. I think if you ever stop listening to coaching or you stop asking questions, you probably need to be doing something else. This is kind of the time for it. Good wisdom from Peyton. So again, we help others in lots of different ways. And if you are open to coaching, you're open to getting experience, we want to let you know we're not going to charge you up the wazoo just to learn a little bit. So I would encourage you, you know, talk to myself or talk to Robbie about applying for a 30-minute free strategy session. We'd love to get to know you and see what we can do to help you. And with that, that's the end of this presentation. Um, just want to thank you so much for spending time with me today and um, learning about land flipping. Make sure to check out all of our other content, including tax liens that should be coming after this video. Thank you so much, and we'll look forward to talking to you later. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, hey, thank you, my friends, so much for listening to the last podcast. I am pleased to announce that I am now a completely independent financial advisor, where to the point now I can really integrate my financial planning practice with this podcast. If you might be looking for help, if you have found any of our information here interesting or relevant, and you're looking for a second opinion, 
I am making myself available for 30-minute strategy sessions. And if you want to arrange a time to meet with me to discuss your situation and see if we might be a good fit for one another, I'd like you to call our office and speak with Kyla. Our phone number is 612-284-2409. Again, that's 612-284-2409. And I look forward to helping you with your financial situation. And now for some lovely legal disclosures required by our lawyer friends. Investment advice is only offered in jurisdictions where Centurion Financial Strategies, LLC, Centurion is appropriately registered or exempt from registration. Our Form ADV Part 2 brochure can be obtained free of charge at advisorinfo.sec.gov by searching for our firm name or its unique CRD number, which is 316-454. This podcast is not a solicitation to provide advisory services in any jurisdiction in which we are not appropriately registered or excluded. The information, statements, and opinions contained in this podcast have been obtained from or are based on information obtained from sources which we believe to be reliable, but we do not warrant or guarantee the timeliness or accuracy of such information. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and should not be construed as personalized investment, tax, or legal advice. Opinions expressed by any guest are their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the firm's views. You should carefully consider your own financial circumstances and needs prior to making any investment in securities or purchasing any insurance products. As always, past performance is not indicative of future results. Investing in securities or really anything else involves the risk of loss. If by some chance in this particular podcast I mentioned insurance products, insurance products are backed by the financial strength and claims paying ability of an issuing insurance company. They may be subject to restrictions, limitations, and early withdrawal fees, which vary by issue. You should always consider the charges, risks, expenses, and investment objective of any insurance products before entering a contract. And that, my friends, wraps it up. Wish you all the best. Feel free to contact us with any info at www.daviddeniston.com. Thank you so much and have a good one. Bye-bye.